From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep of the... In the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very hearts of the heart of the sea, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth, beneath, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. To those who cling to worthless idols, turn away. Those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Also, I want to extend thanks to Jeff for offering to, to preach for me this morning. He knew I was going to be at campus last week. I so kindly offered, uh, but I actually told him no, because I'm so fascinated by this passage. And so I was uh, planning you know, several weeks in advance, thinking about uh, this book, and I was like, I just feel like I have some things to say. And so uh, thank you for offering, and, I'm, and thank you for letting me still preach on it, too, <laughs> as well. I'm, I'm excited about this text. Um, it's one of those texts in the Bible that we will often skim over, especially in children's books. When they tell the story of Jonah, they often kind of just blip over the prayer that happens in chapter 2. They often read it as if it wasn't even there, or else just reduce it to Jonah prayed, and then the fish vomited him out. There's a whole prayer here. And there's, uh, it's, you know, it's reminiscent of the Psalms. So I started to ask, why is it here? Why do we get the words of this prayer? And what does the narrative of Jonah's journey gain by actually giving us the words of this prayer? Rather than just saying he prayed and God saved him. I found as I reflected on this, this prayer, this psalm of Jonah's as well, that it's got some interesting features, and I thought we would run through some of those today. For one thing, there's actually two prayers that Jonah mentions within this prayer. First, there's Jonah's prayer from within the fish, in which he essentially says, I thought I was done for. I was cast down to the depths of the sea so deep it's like I had gone beneath the lowest mountains under the ocean floor but I remembered you in prayer, and you saved me. And then, as a part of his prayer, he recounts his prayer um, that, as he's inside the fish. He remembers the prayer that he made outside of the fish while he was still sinking to the depths of the ocean. In it, in verse 4, he says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look to your temple. Picking up on it again later in a second part recorded in verse 8 and 9, it says, People who cling to meaningless idols reject God's love, but not me. I'll give shouts of grateful praise and sacrifice to you. Fulfill my vows. I'll tell everyone salvation comes from the Lord. And as I reflected on both of these parts of the prayer, I began to notice there were some things that didn't quite sit well with me about it. Why does it not sit well? You might notice, as I did, that while this prayer is similar in poetic language with many of the Psalms, it's really a pretty self-centered prayer. 
seems to be all about him, right? While the Psalms aren't shy to speak in the first person and talk about personal experiences uh, as they address God, the emphasis typically winds up on God's character. While Jonah's prayer is almost entirely about himself. I was drowning and you saved me. It was so bad, I was banished from your sight. But don't worry, I was still thinking about you, God. I was still, my mind was still on your temple. On that note, he also seems to get some of the details wrong about this. He has some alternative facts that he mentions in this uh, prayer. Notice Jonah's claim in verse 4, where he says, I have been banished from your sight. Do we remember chapter 1? He wasn't banished. Jonah ran, right? God didn't send him away. And even if he did run, God continued to seem very invested in what was going on in Jonah's life to the point where he sent a storm to get Jonah's attention. You don't keep pursuing someone after you've banished them, after you've abandoned them. Next, we might notice also that this prayer is conspicuously missing any sort of clear repentance in it. This is especially surprising for, uh, for me and probably for most of us, since in most of the Bible story versions, if they ever do depict what Jonah prayed, they usually mention something about him repenting or saying, saying sorry, and then the fish vomiting up Jonah. But Jonah never says the words, I'm sorry. He never even gets to anything close to that in his prayer. What he does say is, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I'll praise you and keep my vows. In other words, some people cling to idols. He may or may not have been one of them. Honestly, it's kind of unclear about who he's talking about when he says this. Is he acknowledging his pride as an idol? Maybe his prejudice against Nineveh that kept him from actually obeying the Lord? Maybe. But it seems more likely, given the rest of the sweep of the book of Jonah, that he was thinking back to those pagan sailors who are also on the boat with him. Uh, he's talking smack about their prayers uh, to their own gods. Jonah's prayer really seems a lot more like uh, the self-righteous Pharisee in his prayer uh, in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18. In that, he says, uh, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me sinner. Which one is Jonah more like here? He's more like the Pharisee, right? And we might say that the sailors, the pagan sailors, who had just moments before that been praying to their own gods, they have this sense of repentance and humility before the true God after they see what's happened. When asked, Jonah acknowledges uh, the Lord, and he selflessly offers up himself to be thrown overboard as a sacrifice so God's wrath could be averted here. And as he thinks, he just thinks, though, about wanting to go back to the temple. What he really wants is to be back in that place that was so comfortable to him. You notice in his prayer, he doesn't say, Lord, I just want to be back on the way to Nineveh, right? No, he wants to be back in the temple. 
But he says, if you save me, Lord, I'll actually do what you say this time. This leads us to the one positive thing I feel like I can say about Jonah's prayer here is that Jonah does demonstrate faith here. He demonstrates great faith for all his faults. He has confidence that God will save him. This is strange for me because he's done very little to warrant that sort of saving action. He didn't even seem to ask for help in prayer. Jonah is thanking God uh, for saving him while he is still trapped in the stomach of a fish in the middle of the ocean, right? In the middle of the sea. He's underwater. There's no real guarantee that he's getting out of this fish. But looking at the situation around him, sinking down deep, being swallowed by a huge fish, Jonah seems to look around at the situation and think to himself, this makes sense. God definitely wanted to save me (laughs) in this, right? So, Jonah's prayer is a bit self-centered, somewhat egotistical, fairly scattered, and only kind of sort of shows the possibility that he takes ownership of his own actions. Guess what? God saves him anyway. God saves him. One thing I'll offer here, I think the beauty of including Jonah's prayer within this text is that it kind of leads readers, leads us to think, hey, it looks like maybe this is the first starting points of some change in Jonah's character. Something's going to happen for him here. Surely now everything else will turn out fine. He'll be a model prophet and do everything that God says. It gives us a sense of anticipation here. But as we'll find out over the next two weeks, that's not really what happens. He will get a second chance to go to Nineveh, and he actually will preach there this time. But he ends up being kind of a snob about the whole thing. What we see in Jonah chapter 2 is an imperfect prayer from a self-righteous prophet who shows little character change change as a result of God's saving action. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a really intriguing uh, object lesson and piece that we have here in Scripture. Because if God will listen to Jonah and his imperfect prayers, he will listen to us too. If God will save Jonah, he will save us too. If God will take the time to patiently teach a stubborn prophet like Jonah, God will patiently teach us. If God will listen to the self-righteous ramblings of this disobedient prophet, he'll listen to your prayers no matter how long or short, eloquent or stunted they may be. He listens to our prayers. He longs to hear from us. He might have some things to say about the things that we, uh, we offer to him. We might learn and, and grow and, and be corrected along the way, but he longs to listen to us. If God will save a stubborn fool, blind to his faults, he'll save you no matter what you've done or not done, whether you think you deserve it or not. He shows his mercy. If God will take time to repeatedly visit Jonah and keep inviting him into mission, each time teaching him a little bit more about his grace, he'll keep on teaching you, never failing to see the potential for life change in your life. This was a lesson that my uh, mom would often uh, teach me if I would ever worry about making the wrong decision of what God wanted for me in my life. Uh, and where I ought to go. What if I made the wrong choice? My mom would say, well, God's been known to use fish to get people where he needs to. Right? 
that he can use you, he can, he can get you where he needs to and, and to be patient with you. A couple weeks ago, I had shared with our Wednesday morning life group that we'd be going into this series in Jonah, which I'm at least calling to myself the same thing that I called the, the sermon last week, the worst missionary, because uh, Jonah's a pretty much, he's the worst example that we can look to for how we ought to represent God to others. He has, uh, he's prejudiced, he's disobedient, he's begrudging, he's self-righteous and blind to his own sin. We'll see later that he's angered by people responding in repentance. He's angered by God's mercy shown to them. And yet, still, God uses him. I share this because it can be so easy to disqualify ourselves from joining or answering the invitation from God to to join him in mission and to share our faith. What if we say the wrong thing? What if my... Theology isn't correct, and, I, and I, I, I mess things up. What if my own limitations and sin uh, make people not believe because they think I'm a hypocrite? The amazing truth is that Scripture teaches us that the hope and the strength of God is not found at our best moments, but at our worst. God's strength is made present in our weakness. God's power is made perfect in our weakness because it's there that we can lay bare all of our worst insecurities and fears and hand them over to Jesus. And then and only then can we really start to move forward. I grew up in the church. Thanks to my mom, I've known the gospel for as long as I can remember. And I've had plenty of high points in my life. I went to church camp just like the campers this last week. I went to conferences, mission trips. Uh, I had wonderful campus ministry and, and fellowship at Ashland University. Uh, my time in seminary was wonderful. Uh, being able to be ordained and serve the church in this way, they were all great. But the truly transformative moments in my life have been when Jesus met me at my lowest. When he held me in grief when he picked up the pieces of my heart after bad breakups and angsty times and throughout my my teenage and college years, when he sternly but lovingly convicted me in my sin. Most of all, when he never left. He's never left, not even once. Despite all the numerous times that I have tried to do things on my own, he is faithful. And never did in any of those moments did his grace come because of anything that I did to deserve it, but because he was just initiating it, the kind of God that he is. In almost every situation that came at a time when I was angry at God, ready to turn and run, either out of my own disappointment in the way that things were turning out, or my shame, I, I wanted to turn away. But he showed up and saved me anyway. Our God is mighty and willing to save even before we ask. Our God is mighty and willing to use us for profound good, even while we are still yet a mess. My invitation for us is may we invite him to do what he does best. Change us, restore us, save us. And may we respond in any way that we can, even if we are like Jonah, a mess trying to figure out what to do and what we're doing, or if we're at some other stage of life, 
Jesus wants us still. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for your goodness, your grace, your kindness, your mercy. I'm thankful that you lead us towards what is good. And even when we are on the wrong path, that you guide us towards the right. Even when we think we have it all together and we are still, you know, very far beneath your standard of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But even then you still need us. You woo us back to yourself. We pray, Lord, that you might do that even today, throughout this week. There are parts of ourselves that we need to offer over to you. Say, Lord, I just want to look more like you. There's something here that I know is not right. Would you speak to us in promptings from your spirit and words from other people in the faith community that you would um, give us words of encouragement, of of gentle, sweet conviction, um, that we might just come to look more like you and that we might respond eagerly to the words that you say. We just want to look more like you all the time, Jesus. Pray that. Your name.